back to Schoolhouse Cracked. With me, as always, is Mr. Brett Derrickson. And with me is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Motor Chandler of uh, the University System here in Colorado Springs. And so welcome to the Sports Edition. And so we are uh, right in the beginning of July, and we know nationwide a lot of our fall sports are beginning for our student-athletes. And for those of those students who are participating in fall sports in our schools, they're also, for the most part, participating in some private sports um, during the summer as well. And uh, so one of the things that, um, that, that Brett and I bonded over the years, we, we got to know each other um, by being administrators together and having a real passion for uh, school improvement, building school culture and community, supporting teachers. Um, but one of the things we found out in that process is we both had pretty substantial athletic backgrounds. Yep. And so that kind of informed today's episode. Um, some of the things we're seeing in public education athletics um, and how kind of our own experiences have informed the way in which we see those things. And so, Brett, your experience as an athlete goes back through high school and college. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't, this is a good point to, for us to also mention to remind folks that we've also taught in international schools. Yes. And the caveat is that these international schools do have school athletics, but they have them in a different way than we do have here. And, and, and Marcus, this is a tough episode for me. I'm not going to lie. I've told people a thousand times before, if it wasn't for athletics, I'm not sure I would have made it through school. If it wasn't for coaches and what coaches did in my life as kind of surrogate parenting, um, I just have a lot to say thank you to and a lot to value for in, in that regard. With that, uh, I was a three-sport athlete in, in high school. I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. And I did go on to play uh, Division I college baseball before becoming uh, injured. And, and, and truthfully, I was also a, a quite adept uh, soccer player. You also played some of those traditional sports. Do you mind sharing those traditional sports and also what you do now? Yeah, so I, uh, I came up through traditional sports very similarly, um, baseball and hockey, uh, threw in some golf. Um, the joke my parents always made in high school was uh, I liked to swing clubs around, and so any sport with a club I, I played. <laughs> um, so then going through college, I had the opportunity uh, to actually pick up lacrosse in, in college um, and, uh, and play for the lacrosse team at one of my colleges. Uh, not because I knew lacrosse, but uh, they, they needed somebody to take face-offs, and who better than a hockey player? I already knew how to hit. Um, and so growing up playing those predominantly team sports through high school and college, um, and then getting out of college and realizing you, you really can't play anything other than beer league hockey as an adult or beer league softball, which wasn't competitive enough for me. Um, so I got into ultra-endurance uh, sports, and so um, going on the last 11 years, I've been a, uh, a fully sponsored, professionally sponsored ultra-endurance athlete running um, ultra-marathons and, and Ironman um, distance races. And so a uh, shout-out to one of my current sponsors, Castelli Cycling. Castelli Multi-Team is uh, somebody I, I, I've been with now for four years. Um, absolutely love them and, uh, and something I'm still very passionate about. So, you know, we, we obviously – that's one of the things we bonded over is our passion for – um, athletics, both for personal improvement, but the way in which athletics plays its uh, plays out in our yeah. in our professional lives. Yeah, and and I don't want um, your success as a as an ultra athlete to overshadow the fact that I did play men's league soccer for twenty years and ran on a treadmill today uh, <laughs> at the gym yeah. for for nearly. 30 minutes. But, so, but that athletic experience <laughs> in childhood is still informing your day-to-day -day life choices. It is, yeah. and it's it's not a, a huge joke. Uh, you know, a part of uh, our introduction for today, which is important, is I am uh, the athletic director 
uh, at, at our, the school that I work at. And I do have three uh, children that are very competitive athletes. I have a 15-year-old that is playing at a tournament in another state in a wooden bat league, uh, quite an athlete. Uh, the amount of money and the amount of time that we spend on our three children uh, is literally, um, it could be a full-time job mm -hmm. and in, is, the, is the bulk, bigger than our mortgage, is the bulk of the expenses in our household. Uh, this is simply to just say to the audience, we have a high level of value for what athletics does for the mind, the body, and the spirit uh, of young people and of adults. Uh, with that being said, I got into education because I loved sports so much. I wanted to be a baseball coach. That was my dream. I learned to love what I could do as a teacher in college, and I ended up being a soccer coach for 15 years. But I remember telling my students, don't call me coach. I'm Mr. Derrickson here. There's been this tension for me since day one about what is the role of athletics in schools and how do we grab that positivity for culture, even mm -hmm. for kids going to an event. Like, you know, honestly, it's a great thing for my kids to go to a football game or a high school basketball game. Just be game. supportive as part of the yes, community. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. It, it, it is in, indeed. With that being said, I was sharing with, with Dr. Motor Chandler, uh, I'm a Big Ten sports fan. I'm not going to get necessarily into the, the school our family supports, but it's been good for our careers and our lives. Mm -hmm. the, the institution uh, uh, changed the career pathways of, of, of three generations of people in my family. With that said, as Big Ten football fans, uh, I don't know if the audience knows or cares, but University of California, Los Angeles, and University of Southern California are joining the Big Ten Conference. What this means, and this sounds really cheesy, is Rutgers in New Jersey – who's a part of the Big Ten, and UCLA in Los Angeles will be playing competitive athletics against each other. Four time I mean, zones away. Right. Yeah. So student athletes are now traveling that distance to get out of their region to compete at the highest level of education in our society. If you guys do or don't know, UCLA and Rutgers are premier academic mm -hmm. institutions. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean Dr. Motor Chandler to what we do, which is working and caring about and thinking about community public schools. Yeah, and that's something that uh, I've kind of changed several times over in my time in public education. You know, as a young educator, as a young school counselor, I, I absolutely loved going on a Friday night to the football game and supporting the school and sitting with my, my teacher colleagues in the staff section. Um, and it was just fun. And, and as I progressed through public education and became an administrator, you start to see all these things that are happening behind the scenes that, that parents I don't think you always see. Um, you know, you're, you get to see your students' experience when they come home and tell you about practice. You get to see their experience when it's game day. Um, but all the things that – the inner workings that happen behind the scenes to make that, that eighth grade JV basketball game happen at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the school year – uh, all those things, and so I, I've really become conflicted in my career, one, in, in, in the way in which American culture spends time on athletics, the way we spend our resources, and, and how we ask educators to, to really, in an unspoken way, prioritize athletics over instruction. Um, whether or not, uh, we'll say in education we value the student-athlete, student-athlete, student-athlete. I firmly believe that. They're students first, absolutely, and everybody else will always say that. But then you look at some of the decisions made by your school leadership, and it becomes very evident, like your Big Ten example, that, that athletics are now trumping 
the academic experience. And, and when I was a, a university counselor and a college counselor for many years, um, I spent a large amount of time spending with student athletes who were really more focused on being recruited for athletics and academics and, and their parents as well. Um, and, and so I really became a little bit disheartened at, at the amount of time and resources and ask on our, on our staff by prioritizing athletics. And so, um, and I know as an athletic director, most of that work is actually done by you. Yeah. And, and that's stuff that most folks don't see unless they sit in that chair. And as a veteran educator and a, and a highly respected teacher and instructional leader, how your time is pulled to, to schedule a bus for the sixth grade uh, C squad softball team and how that takes an hour and a half out of your day when, when instructional leadership is actually your passion, your priority. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's 10 times worse than that. I, I don't even know how to explain. <laughs> sorry, I yeah, should yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry to say that. Folks, um, again, and uh, this goes back to uh, several episodes before. This is a community issue. So I have spent the money to send my son to another state to play baseball. We have put in the time and the money. And now that he's in high school, I'm not going to, t- to pull back on athletics. It's what my children love. Mm-hmm. It brings out the best in them with their challenges and disappointment. It's a constant disappointment. Absolutely. And, and that, that's, I value that. I, I value them having to over, overcome these difficult challenges or to, to learn to work on something new or to, or to uh, learn how to lead or, or, or uh, maybe, maybe not follow a poor leader, a pure poor leader. Yeah. That's easily identified. Make tough decisions. Yeah. With that being said, though, as, as a uh, middle school leader, I don't spend a small amount of time. I spend an intense amount of time. And it, it doesn't matter if it's C-Squad softball or if it's varsity basketball mm-hmm. in, in a middle school. I have to ask families to leave because they are shouting at the, the referees. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to remind them that their kids are in the seventh grade and haven't fully physically developed and that there is no actual pathway at my school to their professional career. I have to remind them of the data of who literally actually gets to play uh, sports for money. And I also have to remind them of the academic consequences of playing collegiate sports. I come from a family of four boys. We all played college sports. It all made achieving our degrees more difficult, much, much more difficult. Just because of time outside of the classroom. That's right. And when you are outside of the classroom, that time doesn't necessarily mean you can be spending it on academic pursuits and studying. Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, and so demanding uh, at the collegiate level, which I, I recognize that I thought I was the most competitive, um, most desirable, most hardworking athlete I ever met before I went to college. Then I realized, A, I was not, and B, I didn't even like it as much as the university demanded of it. And big fish, na- small pond, right. small fish, big pond. Well, and when when do you laugh and have fun when your roommate might be your best friend, but also the person that plays the same position as you, and you're actually having to defeat them? Right. And, you know, it's a it's a system though that I don't want to get caught in that. It does absolutely trickle down mm-hmm. uh, into our schools. I'll just put it to you this way: all the way into developmental sports and elementary s- school level, which we've seen. Yes, yeah. I have conversations at our school district far too regularly about if we're going to hire coaches or how we can, might get a coach as a teacher or um, 
who we're going to play. Mm-hmm. We travel in my school district. We travel from a minimum of 20 minutes up to an hour to play middle school athletics. Those schools have different school schedules than we do, which means very often a student misses two instructional periods two times a week to compete in an athletic event. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's your math class, you're losing out on significant instruction. You're missing two-fifths of your math instruction every week. Yes, and the teachers are the coaches. So, you know, so they, even if you are present, that coach may be coaching volleyball. That's right. And so when if you're a football player, you're missing every Tuesday and Thursday in the afternoon for your games. But then your coach's volleyball games are on Monday and Wednesday. So when you are present in class, you have a substitute because your coach is gone for their away games. Well, this, yeah. this is the heart of Schoolhouse Cracked. If you're, if you're not picking up on what we're putting down on the other episodes, this one's pretty easy to figure out. I've got a son that goes to a school that's blocked. He plays sports that compete at 4 p.m. He misses a blocked class, which happens to be... So, like, 2 to 4 p.m. That's right. He misses geometry or biology one to two times a week. So does his teacher. What we're talking about is a significant academic gap. My son, this particular son that I'm speaking of, is an advanced math student that barely passed his math class because he made varsity baseball as a freshman Mm -hmm. and also played junior varsity, so he missed four days of school per week, missing every geometry class. Then when I go to ask for help or get him to advocate for himself, what does the teacher have to say other than I need him in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we're doing this all across the country from grade six through grade 12, and then we wonder why we're not outperforming everybody across the world. Well, and and so that's a, that brings me to another point, Brett, is we, we've both worked internationally and we've both spent a, a, a ton of time just traveling and observing educational institutions abroad. Um, and my wife happens to be from Germany. And, uh, and, and so in listening to her experiences and going back to Germany and then working internationally as well, we, we, ha- we had athletics, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the philosophy around it, athletics was different. Um, and, and so in my international school, we had all the traditional sports, but they started after school, and the games started after school, and you only played teams that were essentially within a 15-minute driving distance. Mm-hmm. And if you did have a big away thing, all the, all those schools really had a similar philosophy. Mm-hmm. So they would organize like a five-day competition in maybe another country or maybe another city where all the schools from that region would come together, and they would play all their games over five days. And so, yes, you're missing a period of instructional time, but it's not every single week all the time. And so that would allow a school to make some instructional decisions for four days, perhaps, mm-hmm. or that was organized over a holiday. Um, and that the intent was student development, yep. student uh, character development, and mm-hmm. that the understanding was that we're not here to produce collegiate athletes. We're here to develop better students. And, and go further, that tournament was one time a season. It was a culminating event. And it was done in different cities or different countries for each sport the same weekend. Right. So what that meant is... With, with a cultural component. So it wasn't non-academic. That's, that's, the kids were still engaging in, in a cultural exchange and academic engagement. Right. So it wasn't up to every individual teacher to figure out how every kid was going to achieve when they were even doing things that were in support of their school. The bigger, the bigger issue here is what, what do families need to know about academic balance? What do they need to know about 
school choice, what, what do they need to be considering in making sure that their school itself is balanced? Would you be willing to share a little bit about uh, that I think is enlightening and how this affects school funding? And then we'll go back and sure. forth on how, how you handle this as a parent, because it's a tough issue. So, um, you know, every state's funding formulas are different. But one of the things that, that again, kind of looking behind the curtain as I, as I worked my way through education over, over two decades, is you start to see what I would say is an egregious misallocation of resources. Um, I, in two different school districts, overseeing budgets um, and working directly with budgets, the athletic expenditure budget for the school year was the exact same or more than the instructional budget for that same school. Now, obviously, there's there's district organizational level funding sources that fund like a district level curriculum adoption, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but the same can be said for athletics. There's also district level funding. And so uh, as an athletic director, I know you're allocated a specific amount of money to spend in a fiscal year in a school year. And so is the building principal to spend on in instructional needs. And, and more often than not, those dollar amounts are either the same or athletics is actually more. And, and the thing I found to be really kind of a, a dirty little secret that drove me absolutely nuts was the allocation of money towards capital improvements. And so going back to our last episode on, on teacher shortages, one of the things I saw is that you'd have a brand new teacher and not enough classrooms. So these teachers are floating in their classrooms meaning they're teaching in five different classrooms and they change every period, meaning the school needs to build new classrooms. There's money within the budget allocated towards capital improvement, meaning uh, building things. Ult but ultimately, that same district or that same school will choose to spend that money on revamping a wrestling ring or building a new basketball court. And that teacher who's floating in a classroom and moving to five different classrooms in a day and does that two years is ultimately the teacher that leaves. Mm -hmm. And you want to say, you want to talk about an unintentional demonstration of values, how you allocate your resources in that way without ever actually saying anything tells that teacher that you prioritize athletics more than instruction. Oh, how just I'm just going to make a general statement that my father used to say, and this has a lot to do with my spiritual background, but you will be measured on how you spend your time, your talent and your money. Yep. And how you spend your money says a whole lot about what you value. I think. Time is more important than energy. So I'm, I'm walking with my wife past our kids' high school yesterday. We're talking like we were in our last episode about teacher recruitment and teacher retention. Well, my son's biology teacher is somebody he really adores. He adores her now. He did not adore her when she was the head softball coach because either he was gone for football or she was gone for softball, he went six block periods without being with his teacher, and then we're wondering why he's got a C, a low C, and barely passing his biology class. When she's out of season and his season changed, it turns out that she's a really good instructor who holds together the classroom pretty well and one of his favorite teachers. Well, now I look on the, their job posting site, and as the head uh, softball coach is only like 24 years old, that teacher has to hire two assistant softball coaches. So this young person, whom we adore, who has the same values as us, used, used her athletic prowess to get herself some money to go to college, and now she's putting her time, talent, and energy back into education. This is whom I love. I want to hold this person up in the light is now having to hire coaches, worried about how she's going to cover these bases, and what she's not getting to talk to people about over the summer 
is the curriculum. Yeah. You know, ultimately what I'm saying, Marcus, is uh, what's driving decision-making in our schools and what, what are the consequences of, of, of possibly misprioritizing this? I do want to reiterate again, this is not a, uh, an episode trying to get the community to be anti-athletics in American public schools. That, that's not, in my no, opinion, we're, what's... We're, we're the product of athletics yeah. having a positive influence on us as human beings. Abs- absolutely. But you've, we've called it, about, you know, the concept of being behind the curtain. And, and the truth of the matter is, is families need to understand the consequences of a country that is so dedicated to sports being married to school that we have absolutely blurred the lines between what the purpose of the organization yes. fully is. And that's something we've agreed on for some yeah. time, actually. All right. And what, yeah. and what do you what do you do about it? You know? How, do, how, how did you have those conversations when you were talking with families who you knew that the student wasn't a first-class athlete, but they were a good varsity high school athlete, but you also saw their potential as somebody who could do something really cool with their education. How do you handle those conversations? How do you tell a family, hey, all this money you've been spending in club sports, um, maybe pushing your kid in the wrong direction or off path? Yeah, and, and so there. Back when I was a, a, a college counselor, university counselor, um, you know, I, I like to use metrics and statistics. And so the NCAA does a great job of publishing the likelihood of you becoming a collegiate athlete based off the number of participants at the high school level. And so I would always root it there. And then there's also biometrics. Like, um, you know, I remember, I, I very specifically remember a conversation with a family who was insistent that, incessant that their student was going to play collegiate basketball and he was 5'9". Now, mm-hmm. can, can a 5'9 basketball player make it at a high level absolutely earl boykins played for our denver nuggets mm-hmm. and he was a stud and i think the guy was like five eight yeah and, but he could bench press 320 um <laughs> yeah. so is it abs- is it possible absolutely but the but the ncaa will publish and in march madness they'll publish the average height of the teams in the in the sweet 16 mm-hmm. was like six six yeah and so there's biometrics there that you can mm-hmm. work with families that's one thing that's a side but one of the things that um, was always important to me and kind of goes back to our previous episode when we're talking about hiring and recruiting good teachers and hiring good character is, is if I'm a parent, um, you know, I want, I want my kid to be playing for a coach who's going to coach them in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are they going to remember all the wins? Are the wins going to translate to anything transformative in their life? Maybe, maybe not. But the life lessons that come out of being on a team, uh, suffering through adversity, overcoming challenges, putting in time and effort and training, those are the things that carry on in life, like you said, on the being on the treadmill today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so one of the things that, that happens in public education has happened for a long time and was still always infuriating to me is you, you, you need an English teacher, right? You've got to hire an English teacher. And you look at the applicant pool, and you've got ten applicants. Maybe you're going to interview six. And you've got two great candidates, and you could hire either one of them. What's the deciding factor? And I've worked in too many organizations where the deciding factor isn't character, isn't relationships. It's what do they coach? And, and I've seen positions created, instructional positions created, because we needed X varsity coach, and we want to hire X varsity coach, but we also need to give them a full-time position because ultimately their salary comes from being a teacher, not a coach. And so there's a fabricated position. Some elective position gets created so you can hire this coach. Yeah. And if that coach is somebody who prioritizes character and coaching students for life, you know, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. If that's somebody who's coaching for wins and notoriety and being in the news and moving on to the next position, I can't live with that. Yeah, and so, so as a parent, and I know this yeah. is something you care about, as a parent, 
um, you, you want to look for those coaches that are going to coach those life skills in your kids because statistically our kids are not going to be going to collegiate sports, but they are going to carry those lifelong lessons with them and hence be in their forties and running on the treadmill because of something they learned in eighth grade soccer. Yeah. I, you know, and I'm going to just take that one step farther. Um, what do you do? Okay. So that's what I have done. I've contacted the school and told them they're pulling out my kids too early and going back to that teacher that I'm, that I'm speaking about, you know, in a, in a block schedule or as an athletic director, I can just tell you organizational logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're complicated. Maybe we don't complicate them enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll be like, Hey, let them out for seventh period. Problem so solved. They, problem right? solved. Problem seventh solved. period. Right. No. Well, maybe, maybe actually 15 minutes of instruction with the teacher who's the coach is better than just yeah. the clear break clarity for clarity for the assignment for the evening yeah and the, and then you go yeah. yeah and they can stand together with the other teacher who's covering the class mean like hey dr more challenge you be covering your class this is what our expectations are just once you guys know we both have met blah 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 the point is is that what we're doing with, with sports right now is handicapping the teacher coach like going back to this biology teacher with my son she's a quality biology teacher she's probably the best candidate for the biology job Having her as a former college softball player be the head softball coach as a young person is really good for the school. Yeah. Pulling her out for every blocked class so their kids can get there an hour early for a competition when we don't need an hour to get properly warmed up is not good for the students or for the teacher if the primary purpose of the organization is teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. So there, there are things that you can do as a family. Say, hey, I don't understand why my student got got pulled out of school at two o'clock for mm-hmm. a four o'clock uh, home game or for a four o'clock game in a nearby town. Mm-hmm. So it's our values. The community, re- the schools reflect community values, Absolutely. Dr. Miller Chandler. And that's just, a, just that for me, that's a, a fact. And if we value our kids' education in over and in addition with their extracurricular activities, whether that's band or choir or the clubs or other things that's the reason why we're not mentioning band and choir in clubs is because they're either built into the school day or they they're, happen. Co- they're co-curricular yes yeah, they're built into the school day the school athletics issue uh families ask yourself if you want your kid to have an a or if you want them to learn geometry but, brett you brought up a good point and i hadn't even thought about it until you just said that but but this is something i've been deeply concerned about for some time and i've seen it within our region and i know this practice has existed in other states for for quite a bit longer but how athletics have become co-curricular. So, so folks at home that aren't in education, co-curricular means it's done during the school day. So extracurricular is what athletics have typically been. You, school day is over and you go and practice baseball. Um, but athletics becoming co-curricular. And we've worked in organizations. I've worked in three organizations, public school organizations, where athletics have become embedded in the school day. So you will have in a seven-period school day, um, six classes and your seventh class is your sport or your seventh class is weightlifting for your sport and you do that year round. Um, and so something that I was always hesitant about and worried about is when you look at a district, a school district or a school's graduation requirements and you look at higher education admissions requirements, if, if you're really invested in, in athletics as a parent or as a student, your goal is probably to get them to college, right? But when you embed athletics into the school day that way, it often puts the uneducated student or the uneducated parent at risk of not meeting higher education requirements. So if I'm a three-sport athlete, you know, good for me, you know, I'm highly involved in my school, but that means 
maybe one period a day out of out of seven, I'm in weightlifting for football, weightlifting for wrestling, and weightlifting for track, or I'm actually in a wrestling class year long, at the at the expense of three years of a world language, or at the expense of taking a more um, uh, comprehensive academic load. How do colleges admit students? I'm I'm confident in saying I'm an expert in this. Mm-hmm. They they look at a student's uh, rigor of course load. That yeah, with holistic admissions coming to fruition during the pandemic, um, you know SAT, ACT, they're looking at that. But through a more holistic approach, they're also looking at what you're involved in, and did you take a challenging course load that was available to you based off of what was available in your school. And if they look at your transcript in comparison to a peer from your same school and they and they see that maybe you're missing an entrance requirement because you did all athletics, sometimes that will actually hamper admissions. Not always, obviously. It, it's school to contingent and it's, it's district contingent. But what you're ultimately telling an academic institution, an institution of higher learning, is that you prioritize athletics over maybe taking your first advanced placement class or maybe yeah. taking an art class and being more well-rounded. And, and, and so schools that are building that as a co-curricular activity, I feel are actually putting students at risk of, uh, of accomplishing the goal that they're trying to accomplish by making it co-curricular, which is getting into an institution of higher education. And, you know, it's, I, I'm not getting away from it. Folks, evaluate how you spend your time, your talent, and your money. There is, it's not going to be the same for everyone. And unfortunately, um, in, in my opinion, uh, and this does come from the international school experience. I don't think that athletics, competitive athletics, competing against another school is actually open to enough uh, students. Mm-hmm. There's two things going on. One is like to be a varsity athlete in the United States of America right now, you, you need to, you have to lift weights. Being it's, a year, it's a year-round oh, endeavor. Absolutely. absolutely. It's, an, it's an unbelievable skill. I'm, v- I'm very proud of my children and what they've accomplished in mm-hmm. athletics. With that being said, I have made it more difficult for my students who are also really good students who do need to put time and energy into their academics to be fulfilled. I've put them in conflict with each other, and mm-hmm. the culture that we exist in dictates that. I'll, I'll just say it flat out. In our area, we've gone from when we were growing up, uh, you could play any school in in our our city's big. Colorado Springs is a big city. You could play any school in varsity athletics and have competitive experience. It's over. There's like six schools that have competitive programs now. Families are are utilizing their mobility to get their kids into schools with athletic programs versus living in their neighborhood. Yeah. Playing for their school allowing their kid to feel the disappointment possibly of being the best player on the team but losing some games. And the whole point is, like, what do you really want? That's the question I'm posing to student-athletes, to families, and, and to schools. What do you really want? Because we are saying we're out of balance. We're out of balance financially. We're out of balance with our time. And going back to our other episodes, we're putting really good people, to go back to that biology teacher, we're putting her at a disadvantage for being highly successful in her big paycheck, is what we call it, being in, a teacher. In, in her actual career. Right. Yeah. And, and over-prioritizing her small paycheck, which is, is being, as being the coach. And um, at the end of the day, I'm asking the community and teachers and students and administrators to respond to um, what I'm saying clearly as a statement is, We've gone too far. When USC and UCLA are playing in the Big Ten for collegiate athletics, that's a reflection of a culture whereby I send kids all across the Pikes Peak region 
keeping sixth graders and seventh graders from their math classes regularly or any class because they need to play in a sporting event. Yeah. And, and, and you brought up that point with that young biology teacher, and it's something that, that I've, I've only recently in my career been mindful of, is we talked about in our last episode asking teachers to do a lot, asking fewer people to do more. And, and we also addressed pay for teachers. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, why, why do a lot of new and young teachers take on coaching roles? Um, is it because they have a passion for middle school volleyball, softball, and track? Um, and, and I would say about half the time it's no, but it's because it, it's an additional stipend. And it's potentially three additional stipends. And, you know, we work with a we, – we worked a couple years ago with a great young teacher. Um, and we needed an assistant basketball coach, and he had no basketball experience, but he was willing to do it for the extra stipend as a first-year teacher. And so, um, you know, do they need that additional money? Absolutely. I I think we should be paying them more, and they shouldn't have to take on an additional duty to make that money. But what that does is it pulls them away from their primary responsibility, which is teaching. And that's why you see a lot of mid-career educators step away from from coaching because they no longer need that money because they've advanced through the salary schedule or uh, they become married, or they become more financially stable. And, and we know a great uh, division one, former Division One runner mm-hmm. who was an amazing ath- uh, track and cross-country coach, an amazing electives teacher, who after eight years stepped away from coaching because they didn't financially need to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons we burn teachers out too, is they take on these extra duties because they need extra money. Um, and you know, when I went to an international school, I was flagged to coach basketball. Had I played basketball pickup in a gym before? Absolutely. Do I knew the rule? Do I know the rules for the most part? But why did they put me in the basketball? I happened to be the only American in a British school, so <laughs> the assumption was I knew I knew basketball better than some of the British folks. Um, and and yes, it was an additional stipend. And yes, at a young point in my career, I said yes because that extra money was very nice. Um, but again, that that was a fractional philosophical difference from what we experience on a day-to-day basis in in the k-12 experience in america and i'll just i'll i'll put it clearly this way Uh, my experience as a coach at an international school was that i was restricted to two practices per week at a a total of 90 minutes yep same actually and um do we play uh higher competitive sports here in colorado than we did uh at vntn international school absolutely but at the end of the day, I never pulled a kid out of class mm-hmm. early. I was never pulled out of class early. And we sure as heck had fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got in shape. They kept in shape. I coached them as hard as any American would coach any, any <laughs> kids. But at the end of the day, we simply had less time. Like, and, and, and that time and energy was allocated to what my primary purpose was, which was to help these, these students from all over the world learn complex um, ideas and to apply them in a meaningful way. This is a podcast about schools, mm-hmm. and it, it is about teaching, and it is about learning, and it's about all of the things that we learn and we mm-hmm. do. And what we're saying here clearly is our obsession with competitive athletics has become a big crack in the foundation, and we need to figure out how we're going to adapt. And, and so those little things at, at the school level and at the classroom level, and, and you know, I, I've always appreciated when those things were brought to me by, by a teacher or by a parent. Um, you know, uh, I was really excited uh, on very rare occasions where a parent would come to me and say, like, hey, my kid's game's at 5 p.m. at a school 45 minutes away from the school. Why are they getting out at 1.30? Mm-hmm. 
And, and to be frank, there's no good answer to that as an organization. Saying busing schedules is not sufficient. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I think it's on us as educators to find solutions. So, well, if if there's a busing scheduling issue on a Tuesday, which means these kids have to leave at 1.30 for a 5 p.m. game, I'm going to move the game. Yeah. Or I'm going to cancel it. Yeah. I, I can move that game to two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. I can – so where they're only missing 30 minutes of school. It also comes down to how you allocate staff. Um, you know, more often than not, uh, schools give their head coaches the last period of the school day off so they can not miss instruction and plan for – their event like the varsity coaches but they don't do that for the young assistant coaches they don't do that for the first or second year teacher that um that is the assistant coach and i, I to be frank that's backwards if you're a varsity coach that tells me you've been a lot around for a while mm -hmm. and, and you can plan an appropriate lesson you can plan appropriate work a sub plan but that first year teacher they're going to be playing catch up for three weeks because they missed two days of instruction two periods the week prior and so uh, some of it is just organizational decision making and like you said, the way we spend our time, talent, and money, and the way in which we make our decisions, even if we don't directly communicate our philosophy, the decisions we make communicate it for us, Yeah, and whether gonna, intentional or unintentional. I agree, but I'm going to put this one right back onto the community. And as the athletic director, I'm just going to say right now, hey, I analyzed this fall schedule. I'm going to cancel two uh, volleyball games. I'm going to reschedule one so that they're back-to-back. -back. And let's see how the community responds to that. The truth of the matter is, and is the I'm, and the trade-off is they're missing less instruction. Right, but I'm still telling you, I'm going to get that's going to cost me that's, an hour and a half of the day. In you're going to be taking phone calls all day, right? Yeah. And I, I we we operate our school athletics when size of uh, of a league, and the point is, is that again, I'm saying we have a cultural conflict here. What do we value as a school, uh, and as an athletic director, and as a former athlete and a teacher? I have school-based values, but I don't know that I can tell everybody, hey, we're going to play two less games than the other team in our school district because it doesn't fit into our academic schedule. Do you have my back on that? Well, and that does look different at the middle school level than the high school level where, where league rules dictate your schedule. Well, right? that's, but that's even worse. But, but that, yeah. because then you have a, a group of schools across organizations that are communicating the same thing, demonstrating regionally the same values, which aren't valuing instruction that, that, and that's yeah. exactly what i'm calling out you, you the high school yeah we get that league championships playoffs these are oh gosh man i lost biggest disappointment in my life um, one of the top 10 is losing in the quarterfinals of the ohio state baseball championship yeah, yeah. still to this day i'm pathetic to say that <laughs> but it's it's true but at the end of the day though still um that transcript is important to my son as well. Yeah, he's absolutely. a star athlete and he's missing class, um, you know, perpetually. Mm -hmm. So I can't have both the league championship and the instruction that I want for my kid. Somebody in the community has to decide where our values at. This is a big crack. Well, it's not just somebody. I think it's it's a large group of stakeholders. Yeah. If I've got a kid missing missing so much of my class, if if I'm a uh, you know, a middle school science teacher or a high school math teacher, and I've noticed Johnny over the course of the entire first semester has missed 25% of my class, but it's all for school-sanctioned events. That's one quarter of instruction they've missed for school-sanctioned events. That's, as a teacher, uh, a conversation I, I would appreciate mm -hmm. having been brought to me as an administrator because it means 
whether intentionally or unintentionally, we're miscommunicating our values. And so whether that's coming from teachers or whether it's coming from parents or whether it's coming from both, and heck, I've even had students say, like, I'm missing too much time out of class. I have to stop doing I have to stop doing swimming because I'm missing, I miss too much class in the fall with volleyball and I know I'm going to miss a lot of time in, in the spring with track. Mm-hmm. And whenever I saw a student make that decision, it's heartbreaking because they're making a decision to give up something they love, but ultimately they're making a decision to prioritize the thing that's going to progress them in, in their careers. And we as adults put them in that position. And, and so there needs to be, I agree, Brett, enough people asking enough challenging questions yeah. about how we're allocating our time and how that demonstrates our philosophy on education. Yeah, that's just kind of where I want to end on it. That's where I want to ask people um, in our audience, student athletes, um, non-student athletes, students that have made tough choices, maybe students that are locked out of the opportunity to play sports because they're just not good enough, but like the star has to play every game. Really, I'm not sure. This is for families. Uh, This is for people who go to the football games on Friday night. This is for those of you guys that have AM radio stations that broadcast the football games on Friday night. This is for for everybody who cares about their community. Schools are invaluable. They are cornerstones of our communities. This is an issue where we're saying we're out of balance and we're looking for your tough questions or your solutions. So as always, send us your thoughts, send us your experiences. Um, You know, this is something that's going to be coming up here in just a couple weeks as school gets set to resume. Send us your thoughts at schoolhousecracked at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, Download other podcasts on any of the podcast applications. Um, But let us know. This is a challenge, and this is one of the things that uh, the community doesn't always see. And it's something that Brett and I have struggled with for a very long time in our careers as athletes, but also committed educators. We've constantly had this kind of cognitive dissonance around what what does it mean to be so upset with how we utilize and how we leverage athletics in the education system to the point where the priorities have swapped. And so this is an ongoing conversation that, that you know we've had for going on six years. And so we're very curious about your thoughts. Again, schoolhousecracked at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. This was the uh, sports special. As always with me is Mr. Brett Derrickson. Thank you, Dr. Moore. I appreciate being here with you. Thank you for tuning in to Schoolhouse Cracked. We'll see you next time.